Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to another episode of Midweek in the Word. We're glad you're joining us on the podcast again this week. Uh, As always, I am Pastor Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor, and I am pleased to welcome Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor, back to the podcast after being gone for a a few weeks and Jared and I filling in for Tom. Uh, Tom, you were on vacation, so let me just start off by uh, saying good to have you back, and and how how was your vacation and your trip? Well, it was uh, packed full of grandkid activity, so it was excellent. Uh, it was kind of go. a knockoff of the movie, of Trains, Planes, and Automobiles kind of thing. So uh, did did a road trip uh, on the California Zephyr with my grandson, fulfilled a lifelong dream for him. So it was a great time. Mm, well, hopefully it was an encouraging time away, and uh, we, we do hope our listeners found just uh, Jared and I being here, <laughs> at least uh, acceptable for a week or two. We enjoyed the opportunity, yeah. so I'm glad you got a little time. Um, but this this last Sunday, you were you were back back in the pulpit again. You were back on your Route 66 snapshots from Genesis Genesis to Revelation series. How every sign points to Christ, and you even mentioned in your sermon uh, that maybe this was an odd one in some people's minds that this week you were covering. Uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3 and 4. Um, so kind of on that theme, Tom, you talked about it in your message, um, but why Nebuchadnezzar and and what did we learn about God on Sunday? Well, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, because he was highlighted so many times uh, by Jeremiah, he, he played a, a significant role in uh, God's uh, disciplinary love for the nation of Israel, uh, Jeremiah mentioned him 37 times by name uh, in his writings. So that, that certainly arrested my attention. And then he mentions Babylon specifically 169 times. And mm-hmm. uh, so in the redemptive narrative and uh, what God is going to do at the end of the 70 year captivity is almost a repeat of the deliverance under Moses from Egypt. So. Uh, that that was the reason I had to pause and look at it. I think the other is um, is probably no more stunning co- salvation conversion story in the Old Testament than the turning of the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what did that teach us about God uh, from your message then on Sunday? Well, finally, uh, after time after time, it is uh, you. Recall, you go through Jeremiah and God says, I am putting my people into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar uh, did not recognize the sovereign provision of God along the way. So what God is teaching him and us is that God is sovereign over all things and that rulers are raised to their thrones and removed from their thrones at his discretion, according to his timetable and for his purposes. Hmm. I, I can think of no better time to be reminded of, you know, in Scripture's words that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, yeah. you know, and that incredible reminder, even in a season that is as challenging and frustrating at times yeah. as it is for us today. Um, yeah, I appreciated that uh, from your message on Sunday. Uh, kind of related to that then, and what what did we learn about mankind? What did we learn about ourselves from Nebuchadnezzar's story? 
Well, we, we, we've, we've seen a, a human issue of pride of the heart and uh, the ego uh, just over and over. But it again, it was just like uh, ego on steroids with, with mm. Nebuchadnezzar that, that no matter what it is that God does, man wants to take the credit for it. Uh, you know, 60 years earlier, God had said through Isaiah that I will share my glory with no one. And yet in Nebuchadnezzar, we see that man wants always to take a little bit of the glory of God and shine it on himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I know probably many of us resonate with that. It's it's easy, funny, maybe to, to look and we, we identify that pretty quickly in, in politicians and political leaders, probably. But the same is true in our own hearts and our desire to steal God's glory as yeah. well. Yeah, good reminder. Finally, and lastly, how, how did that point us to Christ? Well, I think in a, in a, a king is to be uh, worshipped as far as respected and honored. But in, in their culture, a king was worshipped as a god. And mm -hmm. uh, But in Nebuchadnezzar, you continually see him forcing people to honor him, to respect him, to bow before him. So it raises the question, would there ever be a king? who would uh, humble himself and actually become a Daniel type of servant, you know? So, I mean, it, it was one of those aha moments as I was grappling with it. Where do I find Christ in Nebuchadnezzar? And then suddenly the Philippians too did not consider thing equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, mm -hmm. took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death. Therefore God highly exalted him. Every knee then will bow and every tongue confess. So, what Nebuchadnezzar tried to force upon the people, God created in, in Christ's humility to happen as a result of his own willingness to be humble. So it was, it was, a, it was kind of a, a, an aha moment when I suddenly realized that, uh, that Christ was the antithesis totally to Nebuchadnezzar. Both are worshipped, but uh, for different reasons. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good connection. I, I personally can't help but think of, you know, Psalm 2. You know, why why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? You think of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it goes on and says, he who sits in heaven laughs. The yeah. Lord holds them in derision and then talks about, I have set my king, obviously Christ, on Zion, my holy hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just a cool reminder of God's situation and Christ's total control over over the earth and, and the kingdoms of this earth. Uh, well, Tom, I just want to thank you for the message on Sunday, for the reminder from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we'll look forward to this next Sunday, looking forward to Daniel and kind of the other side of what was going yeah. in, on in Babylon uh, through that story. But but in Sunday's message, uh, you, you, you focused on the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and in his story, you commented about how frequently Babylon is mentioned in scripture. And you even mentioned it yet again here on the podcast. And, and it got me thinking, uh, first, I was thinking it'd be good for our listeners to explore a little more about how this nation that's mentioned over 300 times in the Old Testament, uh, what's the significance of that? And then kind of from that, secondarily, I'd like to explore how Babylon as a theme is picked up again in the New Testament and, and explore biblical themes and motifs a little bit in general and how scripture uses those themes. So, so if we can, let's, let's backtrack here a little bit and try to fill in some of the historical and cultural context that maybe you didn't get the chance to share with the congregation on Sunday. 
Uh, can you give us a little bit about the, the who, what, when, and where uh, of the nation of Babylon in ancient history? Yeah, uh, uh, the Babylon story, I think, begins back in Genesis 10, where it is the capital city of the kingdom of Nimrod. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a glorious city then. It's, uh, it's located uh, probably not that far from where the Garden of Eden actually was in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, somewhere in the Persian Gulf region. Uh, today, so I'm not saying that that uh, Garden of Eden was Babylon, but that general area <laughs> of, of the of the Persian Gulf, and uh, it's it's from Chaldea, so it's Babylon of the Chaldeans is the place where God found an idol worshiping man by the name of Abram and called him to follow him and made him the great promises of Genesis chapter 12. So mm-hmm. it. Uh, it, Babylon's not mentioned in that section yet. It, it's Ur of the Chaldeans from where he comes. So it is a it is a significant, uh, humanly speaking, uh, uh, successful, glorious human creation city that becomes then the the uh, the man side of God's holy city kind of contrast. In, in, in other words, it. It was what man claimed they could accomplish. So you got the whole Tower of Babel story takes place mm-hmm. in 11 so that they would they would keep the people together. Man will create something that will be the solution to man's need. So the Tower of Babel, Babylon, the city, all putting the emphasis on this is man's answer to God's plan. And uh, so it, it starts a theme then of the antithesis or the contrast continually to the provision of man and, and the purposes and provision of God. They're, they're set in opposite toward each other, I think. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we, we begin running into Babylon in the story of, of Israel, especially Judah and the Southern tribes in, in our study through first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. When, when Babylon kind of comes back onto the scene how do we understand, who do we understand them to be at that point in, in the story of the Bible? Yeah, and by the time you get to that point, then uh, though in their arrogance and their pride, they are the epitome of idolatry. They are the epitome of immorality. They are the epitome of man-centered humanity. And and so they become the opposite. It, if, if you'd say, what, what are the people of God to look like? The Babylonians were the opposite. If if you look like the Babylonians, just be different than that. That would be the people of God. Mm. But at the same time, that's the stunner. That's the whole thing that Habakkuk struggled with. So you're taking mm. this godless, vile, vicious, immoral people, and you're going to use those for your purposes to purify and purge your nation, the chosen people. So you, you've got this comparison contrast going on uh, all through the Old Testament. They they come to do God's will, but at the same time, they are the great threat to the people of God repeatedly uh, throughout. And, uh, you know, kind of they kind of come back on the scene when Hezekiah uh, or, uh, is, is duped into, into thinking they're just coming over to admire his accomplishments. And so he gives them a no-holds-barred tour of all of his holdings, all of his strength, all of his possessions. And it's really just a, a prelude to their coming and taking it over. So 
yeah, it's good, kind of a long drawn out theme. Uh, you know, our, our attention has been on Egypt. Our attention has been on the Assyrians. And all at once from the east, here comes the Babylonians. And they become more of a threat and uh, more of a danger to the people of God than the others had been. Hmm. Which is, which is a really strange, to your point, theme that we see in Scripture, where in a lot of ways they're this antithesis to the righteousness of the people of God, or, or the, the supposed to be righteousness of the people yeah. of God, that are ultimately brought in as the, as the judging hammer of God to judge his people as yeah. well. Yeah, the, the, 50th the 50th chapter of Jeremiah, he, he, he calls it, when, when he pronounces the doom of Babylon, they will succeed only for a season, and then God will put them in their place. But when He pronounces it, He He calls them the hammer. Mm. <laughs> so that's yeah, it's it's God has used them, He has allowed them to be there, He has raised them up. Like I said, and it, it's just kind of a shadow theme that starts in Genesis ten and eleven, and then it just becomes to full expression uh, in the. Times of Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, that season of time. Okay, so then in the Old Testament, going through a lot of the, the prophetic books, even starting in Genesis, like you're saying, Babylon is this uh, almost anti-hero, you know, this this opposite of the nation of yeah. Israel, building this theme, a uh, literal Babylon in uh, this country that came in from the east to, to wipe out the Israelites. But, but yeah. Babylon isn't simply found in the is the Old Testament, though it's mentioned 300 some times in the Old Testament. We know we also find it in the New Testament, where it's mentioned a dozen times, uh, four of which are simply in the genealogy that Matthew lists, uh, explaining coming to the person of Christ. But it's also used in Acts, 1 Peter, and, and a number of times, six times in the book of Revelation. Uh, so I want to explore that a little bit and see how the New Testament picks up this theme. How, how does the author Luke use Babylon in, in the first example we see in Acts 7, verse 43? Yeah, well, in, in Acts 7, uh, what you have is Stephen giving a review of the history of the nation of Israel. And uh, he says there, and God turned away and gave them over to the worship, the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. Uh, he says, you took the tent of Moloch and the star of the God of Rephaim and the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So there, Babylon is seen as the disciplinary tool in the hand of God. If he sends you to Babylon, it is not an act of God's blessing, but it's an act of God's correction. And so when you get to the, in the Old Testament, it is, it, it is basically a city that is the manifestation of the best that humans can do without recognizing the provision and the blessing of God. And it's, it's actually a literal geographic place. When you get to the New Testament, then suddenly Babylon becomes a philosophy of life, as it were. It becomes a, a principle of living. Babylon is, uh, is a, a, what do I say, a manifestation of uh, unrighteousness and sin, rebellion, and rejection to God. And so he is saying, if you're going to continue to worship those idols, I'm going to send you beyond Babylon. That that geographic discipline was nothing like the spiritual correction that's coming. And, yeah. uh, and then when, when Peter talks about it, he in chapter uh, 5, uh, in 
closing his uh, his first letter, he says, she who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark. Well, there, there it, it, it's not just, she's not, I don't think, uh, in an Airbnb <laughs> in the city, yeah. but she who is in the culture, living in a, in a world, a culture that is contrary to all of those righteous truths of the heart of God. Uh, so we are, I, I would say there, she who is in the world, but not of the world. She is living in, in a state overwhelmed by those who rebel against God and reject God. And yet, uh, whoever that is that he is greeting is, is, is uh, still faithful to God, very much like, again, the Daniel that we'll look at this week. Uh, well, mm-hmm. in Babylon, he was geographically in Babylon, but he was not spiritually or philosophically in there. He was in the world, as it were, but not of the world. I think that's what uh, Peter does with that illustration. Okay, so so yeah, we he, can basically a, understand it. Oh, go ahead. Well, I know. I just think I, that, that that same thing. It kind of leads us then into Revelation, where uh, Babylon again is not so much a geographic location as it is a a mindset, a spiritual rebellion against it is it is where Satan controls the world system in opposition to God. So uh, uh, Babylon then, whenever it's mentioned, is a reminder of what the idolatry and the immorality and rebellion lead to when they reject God. And so again, it's it's set in opposition to the wills and the way of God. Hmm. So maybe maybe if I can attempt to to summarize a bit of what you're saying here, um, Babylon starts out as as this place um, that stands in opposition to God. In a lot of ways, develops into this understanding of man in in total rebellion against God. You know, I almost think of you know we think in Romans. Romans 1, where, where God yep. says, because they didn't want to seek me as God, I turned them over to yep. all of these lustful desires and, and this sinful, the, the, the complete measure of the sinful rebellion that they so much wanted. And so in a lot of ways, Babylon comes to represent um, thematically uh, with this motif of man in open rebellion against God, totally turned over to their own depravity. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think I think you're exactly right. I think you could take in your Bible in Romans 1, 18 and following and just right across that Babylon. That's what it is. Yeah, going, like I said, going back to Genesis 10 and, uh, and 11, the Tower of Babel was that if we do this, we can keep ourselves together. We don't need God and we don't have to obey God. And starting there all the way through, it is it is that mindset of rejecting the sovereign authority of God and doing it our way. So it is it is exactly the opposite, and it leads to all those sins and vile behaviors that flow out of rebellion against God, the Creator, the Holy One. Hmm. Okay, well, I, I think that's helpful, you know, to think of this literal place that develops into this, this motif and theme in the New Testament. Um, but I want to back up even a step farther than that then, because Babylon isn't the only motif, the only theme like this we find in the Bible, though it's obviously a very prominent one that Scripture deals with a lot. Um, what are some similar or other themes that we find in the Bible, and, and how does Scripture use them? 
Well, it's, it's another couple of cities that come to mind immediately when you ask the question was uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And you'll find uh, Sodom mm. uh, is, is God's standard for ultimate rejection in the immoral area. And so whenever uh, he speaks of Sodom, it's a reminder not of the geographic city destroyed in the valley by the by the brimstone and fire, but of the people who sought their own gratification, their own way in rejection. He uses Gomorrah the same way. Uh, there's also some other things like uh, there there is a a tree motif that uh, that that tends to show up, starts in the garden and ends. In, in the garden at the end in Revelation. And along between it, it the, the tree is either a symbol of life or a symbol of death. So uh, mm. you'll see that there's, there's a river theme that runs through the scripture. Uh, if great emphasis while you're reading a text is placed upon the river, you want to kind of step back. You go back to Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden was identified by the rivers that flowed from it. You get to Revelation, and there's the river that flows from the throne of God. And all the way in between, there are those, those rivers. You know, you, you get to the, to the Jordan River, and it's the line of division between outside the promised land, inside. So there are just a number of themes that start to show up and point us in a, in a given direction. Uh, that may or that may not any longer be said. That, that's the hard part. Is this speaking about a literal tree with roots in the ground and leaves on the branches, or is it speaking about a symbol that represents something? Mm. Is he talking about the literal Sodom or the literal Babylon? But uh, yeah. He, <laughs> oh, go ahead. But I, and like I said, I, I brought a book home from my office that are uh, the Dictionary of Bible Types. And uh, it's got 500 pages in small print of continually repeated themes, words that lace the scripture together. So, uh, yeah, this, this idea of images and motifs is very critical to interpreting the scriptures. And if I can ask a bit of a follow-up question to that point, then uh, wh why did the biblical authors do this? Because it seems a little bit odd to us. You know, if they're trying to tell us something, why don't they just come out and say it? you know, would be, would be what's running through our head. Why, why do they use these illusions, these illustrations, these themes, which seem a little odd to us uh, to emphasize some of these major patterns as we go through scripture? Well, I, 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 th I think a, a couple of things. One is, is the way that people communicated in different eras and different times. But I think they also, uh, you paint pictures with words. And uh, so we, we can identify a tree, its structure, how it works, or we can identify a city. That's the go-to place. That's the enviable place. You know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere kind of kind of thing. So, so I think it, it, it connects to things we can identify with. But, but then, mm -hmm. yeah, at the same time, I, th I think it's done to cause us to slow down and contemplate. Um, one of my Bible studies last week, we were looking at the book of Daniel and, uh, and the four beasts, you know, that show up mm. uh, in seven, eight, nine, you've got all these beasts and they're kind of half man and half animal. And they're made out of the, 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 the idols are made out of different metals. And you're thinking, well, couldn't you just paint it? Well, they're, they're, they're trying to cause you to imagine, to see, and to understand a principle that requires reflection and investigation, I think.
I think that's a good, really good note. I, I was talking to somebody this last week about the book of Revelation and how intimidating it can be because of all of the imagery and some of these sort of things. And it really does pick up a lot of these themes, even Babylon, like you were talking about. Um, yeah. But it makes it challenging to read, too, because it makes it feel a bit abstract and what things are little and literal and what things are to be understood more thematically. Yeah. But it does it does really pick up that idea of a picture is worth a thousand words, yeah. where now all of a sudden scripture can use Babylon and all of this, these thoughts and these emotions go with that theme uh, without having to describe it. It is yeah. an interesting thought. Um, OK, so if, if we can get a little bit practical then for our listeners uh, you've got this big volume sitting on your desk at home of all these things. Uh, but for, for our everyday readers, how do they keep an eye out for these types of things while they're reading? Do you have any practical tips that might help them? Well, uh, years ago, I, I started, uh, as you know, I pack a pretty good collection of highlighters, different colors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I developed a habit of, uh, as if I'm reading some a chapter or a book of the scriptures, and by the third time I see a particular word or something, I usually go back and read and start highlighting, just picking that one out, not asking what it means, just noticing that it's there. I call it observation. So I, I think that's the first one is that to, to be aware that that's one of God's communication methods is that he picks up these themes or these motifs, these phrases these themes, and he will repeat them, whether it's a, a set of words put together or one particular identifying word. And uh, so, uh, like I said, I, I recommend using colored highlighters. And, uh, you know, I was working on Daniel today, and I use a blue highlighter to talk about the number of times there were dreams and visions. It just shows up mm-hmm. over and over. And uh, so that would be the first one. Re- and then realize you're not going to unpack a book or even a chapter in one simple reading. Uh, yeah, it, it's probably the third reading before you start to see that flow, that framework, and things start to just jump off the page for you. So, mm, Good stuff. Well, for our listeners, if, if I can attempt to summarize this a bit, um, do keep an eye out for these sorts of themes that run through Scripture. As Tom was talking about, you know, Babylon and and uh, trees and rivers and, you know, I think of Zion and what all that came to mean and, and some of these kind of stuff, subjects and look for repeated themes through scripture. Look how the Old Testament builds a theme and how the New Testament turns it and reveals a bit of what that theme is directed toward. Think of it in a lot of ways, the same way as we talked about types and anti-types, Old Testament and New Testament sort of things um, through scripture. Go back and listen to that podcast if you didn't catch that episode. Um and give yourself time on the subject. Yeah. You know, as, as Tom's talking about, the more times you read through the Bible, the more of these things are going to begin to jump off the page uh, to you. Uh, any other final thoughts on this subject, Tom, as we wrap up this discussion on Babylon and biblical themes? Well, I, I think my encouragement would be is don't get discouraged. Um, you know, I, I started teaching the Bible 46 years ago, and I'm hoping God lets me live long enough to be able to tie those, those pictures that start in the book of Genesis to how they wrap up in Revelation. <laughs> the longer I read, the more of those themes I see through there. So uh, just if, as you're reading along and you discover one, you know, just trace and develop that one and enjoy it. And don't get discouraged that there's others there that you miss. So uh, just just start where you are and uh, grow from there. 
That's a good word. Hopefully our listeners are encouraged this week as they as they look for those sort of things. Um, but this coming Sunday, Tom, you are you are shifting directions. You're staying in the same book, but instead of talking about the king ba- of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be talking about the the one who was brought into exile, Daniel, uh, which is probably a familiar character for many. The, the more familiar character from the book of Daniel for our listeners. Um, so, what are you looking forward to preaching on from the life of Daniel? Well, I, I, I have to be honest. You, so we sometimes ask what what interpretative interpretive questions are you wrestling with? And, and Daniel is a role model. He's so easy to preach as a mm-hmm. character study, as an example for us. Be like Daniel. You know, when the when the pressure's on, don't give in. But that that's what I'm looking most forward to is how. God used a man who, as as the nation of Israel, is at its lowest ebb. I mean, Jeremiah is saying, uh, you guys are a mess. In that context, Daniel was born and reared in the royal line of David. And while everybody else was turning their back to idols and away from God, Daniel pursued the Lord. So I'm excited to, to show how he stands out as a light. In, in a in a foreign land uh, as as a light of hope to the Gentiles and how God uses him in the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Mm, very much so. Uh, you've already mentioned the question, but any additional interpretive questions you're wrestling with? Well, there are. In it, it, half of Daniel's book is a biographical sketch of a great man of God and his friends. The second half is uh, is prophecy. Uh, what mm. God telling history before it occurs, history future. And uh, so wrestling with how to bring those two together in one message, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. I know the, the latter half of Daniel has been a, a point of confusion and head scratching at times for many people, but uh, an encouragement in our current season as well. Uh, so we'll look forward to seeing how you do that on Sunday. Finally, how can we prepare our hearts for the message? Well, I, I think in, in this culture and this time, uh, you know, it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to give up hope and, and all that. I think to, to read, I would just say, read the first six chapters of Daniel in preparation and, and look at the faithfulness of God, even in difficult times. And I think we'll get, I think we can look forward to a great message of encouragement and revived hope in the midst of discouraging moments. Very nice. Well, we will look forward to hearing that message on Sunday. We hope you join us listeners, uh, whether that be in person or via our live services to hear Tom's message and to join us for worship on Sunday as we talk about the character of Daniel. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode. Uh, Remember uh, that if you are doing our weekly reading in our Route 66 series, uh, keeping up with that, Go ahead and take time to read Daniel 1 and 6 in your Bibles to get ready for the message on Sunday. Um, And as we mentioned every week, if you run into any questions in the book of Daniel as you're reading, we would love to hear from you with those questions. We'd love to address them on the podcast. So shoot those our direction. Uh, One other quick note that I want to mention for our listeners, uh, we are excited to announce that in the coming weeks, we're going to begin transitioning to what is a, a bit more normal Uh, Sunday morning. We're going to have some in-person worship leaders. So keep an eye out for more information on that from Pastor Troy as we are continuing to take steps uh, that direction for the time being. 
Um, and know that over the course of this week, we will be praying for you as you interpret and read God's word uh, in your personal time and as you prepare your hearts for the message on Sunday. We do hope you join us again for next week's podcast and episode on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.